Father, I do pray that you bless this time in the study of your word. And I thank you for the things that we're doing here at Calvary Chapel. I thank you for all those who are coming out on a Wednesday night. Uh, what a blessing that it is uh, to see all the kids that are here and the youth that are here, uh, us here in the sanctuary, the coffee shop, uh, those that are out there, those listening on live stream. And Lord, uh, it's a real privilege to be able to be in this incredible book that we're in. And Lord, even as uh, we are exhorted to come to the living water, I, I was thinking about how uh, we were singing that, that song about how you, you spoke and, and billions upon billions of planets and galaxies were created. And even in this world, 1.5 trillion gallons of water is poured out upon this earth. But yet we know that you're the one that gives living water. And I pray that tonight as we study your word, that as we drink of it and as we eat of, uh, Lord, the, the living word that is given to us, that we'd be refreshed and renewed. And Lord, we'd be benefited and exhorted in every way that you desire for us to be. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we go into chapter 10, you recall that in chapter 8, that Isaiah had two scribes that were told to write down the prophecy, Uriah and Zechariah. And in that prophecy, he is telling the house of Israel, he's telling Judah and Jerusalem, because of their disobedience, because of their false worship and, and uh, practicing occultic kinds of things that we have seen, uh, being disobedient. And also, it was a direct indictment against the leaders, as we're going to continue to see as we get into chapter 10. And the Lord was desiring for them to come back to him. And, and in their disobedience, they refused to do so. So God's going to use the Assyrians, this mighty empire. Matter of fact, I was doing some reading on it today. And, and as you look at the different eras and, and periods of how the Assyrians rose to power, that they were really the world power for, for a number of, uh, of centuries, for about 700 years. And here they are really at the peak of their power. They're beginning to flex their muscles. It is the Lord that said that the mighty Assyrians are going to be used to come against uh, the house of Israel and even come into Judah. They're going to be like the great rivers of Assyria, the Tigris and Euphrates, that's going to overflow its banks and come overflowing into the house of Israel, uh, the ten northern tribes, and also into Jerusalem and into Judah. And, and you're going to be overtaken. And so gird yourself, and, and you are to understand that as you're desiring, thinking that you are really going to be able to save yourselves, you're not going to. You think that you're going to be able to go to Egypt for counsel or make a peace treaty with the Assyrians, the enemy. It's not going to help you one bit. And they refuse to turn to the Lord. So this prophecy is being given. But what is interesting about what we see throughout the book of Isaiah is this, this indictment against God's people and judgment is proclaimed against them. But then the Lord doesn't just leave them there. And you see, all of a sudden, these, these messianic prophecies come out, just as chapter 9, that in the darkness of what we see up there in the land of Zebulon and Naphtali, that up there, the, the Galilee of the Gentiles, and, and the people who walked in darkness 
have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Speaking about how the Messiah is going to come. And then Matthew chapter 4, that he borrows chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 and says, this is the fulfillment of Jesus when he began his earthly ministry, his Galilean ministry. And he quotes it there in Matthew chapter 4. Because Zebulon and Naphtali were those two tribes around the Sea of Galilee where Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry. And in all the darkness there is a light. And we can see all the darkness that is around us. And we talked about this very specifically last time. There is darkness around us. And we live in dark times. And it seems like that as time goes on, as we're getting closer to the return of the Lord, that is getting darker all the time. But you and I are to be light. And Jesus said that you don't take a a light, you don't take a lantern, a lampstand, and put it under the bed. But you put it up on the table where it can be seen. And what my prayer for all of us is that wherever we are, that that we would be a light and dispel the darkness that around us. And so there is going to be the one, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting uh, Father and Prince of Peace. And so he's going to come, and, and we looked at that, and, and he is going to rule and reign. His government is going to be forever, and he's going to bring judgment and justice, and it's going to be a kingdom that's going to last forever. But then after that, Isaiah gets back to indicting the house of Israel and Judah once again as we finish chapter 9 and as we go into chapter 10 as well. And here's the thing. They were so prideful the house of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem, that they would ignore this indictment against them and the proclamation of judgment, that they thought, you know, so what? You know, what's going to happen is, is that the bricks that fall down, maybe we might go through some difficulties, but we're going to rebuild with hewn stones, better stones. And the sycamore, if it's cut down, we're going to plant it with cedar trees. We're going to be better, and we're going to be bigger, and we're going to be stronger than ever before, and we're going to do it without the Lord. And you see, if any of us, that we think that we're going to be better and stronger, and we're going to be wiser um, without the Lord building upon our lives in a way that ignores the ways of the Lord or yielding to the Lord, then know that you're not going to be stronger. That know that you're going to find yourself, even as Jesus said, that if you do that, you're going to be building upon the sin. When the storm comes, great is the fall of that house. That's the one that hears these sayings of mine and ignores them. So all these things that we've been looking at that are very, very important. And now as we go into chapter 10, we read that, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune which they have prescribed, to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor of my people that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. What will you do in the day of punishment and in the desolation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your glory? In verse 4, without me they shall bow down among the prisoners and they shall fall among the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. So speaking of the wicked leaders that he has already indicted, the, the political leaders... 
He's indicted the religious leaders, and now he is indicting the Lord, the uh, evil judges that were taking advantage of others. You take advantage of the poor and the, the widows and the fatherless, that is, the orphans. And we see, as I've mentioned before, that in the Old Testament, that God says very specifically that he has a special place in his heart for the widows and for the poor and for the fatherless and for the stranger. And I want to encourage you tonight because maybe you're here and you feel like you're an orphan. Oh, not literally by the definition, but maybe you feel alone. And I've talked to many Christians that they feel alone. You feel alone at your workplace, maybe in your own family that has disowned you and holds you out at arm's length because you're the only Christian that is in your family. And even as Jesus said that I come to to bring division, uh, father against the mother and and the mother against the daughter and the father against the son. And, And as he says that, many of you have found that to be true in your life. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, there has been the vision that has happened. And maybe you feel like an orphan, or maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel poor of spirit. And I want you to know that you have a very special place in the heart of God. That he sees you and he knows you, and you're not alone. And he desires for you to experience the riches of Christ as you just trust in him and continue to call out to him. So here, this indictment against the judges that were to be bringing justice and and God's word, righteousness, in the decisions that they were making, but they were taking advantage of those who were weaker and those who needed help. And, And we see here, though, as we look at it, that there's three questions that are asked here that I think are worth considering here. What are you going to do in a day of punishment? Verse three, to whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? I think those are three questions that all of us have to answer, don't we? Where are you going to go in the day of punishment, in the desolation? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to turn to? And to whom are you going to flee for help? You see, the house of Israel was always trying to, and as well as Judah's, we talked about Ahaz, he was trying to make a peace treaty with the Assyrians, uh, with you know, Tiglath-Pileser, and giving them gold, and, and don't attack me. Well, we know that the Assyrians would eventually come in into Judah, to Jerusalem. And we know that uh, even that the house of Israel, when the Assyrians came in, they were trying to make a, a treaty and trying to get counsel from Egypt. Egypt, you come and help us. And of course, Egypt is a picture of the world. And we're going to see throughout the book of Isaiah that the Lord's going to say to Israel that woe to you who take counsel, but not of me. And you go to Egypt and you're trying to make a peace treaty with the Assyrians, even as we're going to see here, and it's not going to work. So the question is, where are you going to go for help? And one of the things that we have seen very clearly in the scriptures as you read it, have you ever noticed that as he's telling them of the futility and the foolishness of going after those idols and trusting those things and the false worship, you never see never one example of those idols helping God's people in their time of need. And that's what he's going to say. You're going to be looking to them in your time of need and they're not going to help you. And you and I need to understand when there's a real time of need in our lives that the things of the world aren't going to be our ultimate help. But we need to go to the Lord who is our helper, who is our strength, who is our our strong tower, who is our refuge. He's everything that you need. And so these questions are being asked, you know, who will you leave your glory? 
You know, you're, you're trying to make this glorious kingdom, but where are you going to leave that? Because you did not give glory to the Lord. And as we continue in verse 5, he's then going to talk about the Assyrians. The Assyrians, they were very prideful as well. And God's going to use the Assyrians to come against uh, the house of Israel. And, uh, and we know that the Lord would deal then with the Assyrians. And that's what this section is talking about. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and a staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath. I will give him charge to seize the spoil to take prey. Now this is a play on words, to seize the spoil. Does that remind you of anything? Kind of put your thinking caps on a little bit. Remember in chapter, what? Chapter 8, that the second son of Isaiah, that long name means hurry to the spoils. So his sons, we're going to see his first son, his name means that there's a remnant that will remain. We will see that prophesied here in a little bit. And then the name of his second son is that hurry to the spoil. And his sons were to be a message to the nation. And we see here that this is what's being prophesied. I'll give him charge to seize the spoil, to take prey, to, to tread them down like the mire of the streets. In verse 7, yet he does not mean so, nor does his think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off not a few nations. We read here that God used the wicked empire to judge his people, the Assyrians, and will do the same thing in the southern kingdom as Judah is going to be taken off into captivity by the Babylonians. When you read the, the book of Habakkuk, it's an interesting book there, one of the minor prophets. But what makes Habakkuk so powerful is Habakkuk, who is ministering to the southern kingdom of Judah. He comes on the scene after this. The Chaldeans have risen to power. That is the Babylonians. And he knows that God's going to use the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to come against Judah and to take them off into captivity because of their sin. And Habakkuk's really wrestling with that. He's saying, Lord, how can this be? How can you use a wicked empire like the Babylonians to come against your people? But, of course, we know that God had made a covenant with his people there on Mount Sinai, you remember. And, and, and there, as in, in the book of Deuteronomy, the, the blessings and the cursing. But there was a covenant, the covenant of Moses, that if you follow after me and keep my commandments, then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you from your enemies. I'm going to bless the land. And if you don't follow after me, if you go after foreign gods and false gods, then you're going to see that there's going to be famine and there's going to be you know, difficult days that will come to you and you'll eventually go off into captivity. And so here we see it has taken place exactly as the Lord had said was going to take place. But Habakkuk was still struggling with that. He's wrestling with this. Lord, how can you use the evil Babylonians to come against your people? And then as he is wrestling with that, he says something very important in chapter 2. When you begin the, the chapter there in Habakkuk, that he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. That is very important. And I have that verse underlined because you and I, we can wrestle with things, can't we? 
when we see the things that are taking place around this world, when we see how a church is shot up there in Texas, and, and um, we wonder, Lord, how can that be? Why did this happen? And I don't think we will fully understand on this side of eternity. But there are things that happen that we don't fully understand, and we wrestle with it. Even as you recall Asaph in Psalm 73, he, he was wrestling with the Lord. And he said, oh, it pained me to see how the unrighteous seems like that they are, are getting away with things. And it seems like that those who follow after you, that, that we go through persecution or we go through difficulty. And, and he's wrestling to where he says it's too painful for me even to think about how the wicked seem to prosper until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. And here Habakkuk, wrestling with that same kind of deal, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand my watch and I'm going to set myself and watch and see what he will say to me and what he's going to answer me and correct me. And he, we see that he would speak to Habakkuk and say to him that the just shall live by faith. The theme of the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and the book of Hebrews. The just shall live by faith. And then in chapter 3, he's worshiping. Listen, if you're wrestling with things, and there are things that we won't fully understand, but as I've said many times, fall back into things that you do understand. But I think that even in your own life, as you're wrestling with why you're in the season that you're in or facing a difficulty or you need wisdom that is very important that as we wrestle that then we stop and we watch. Even as Jesus, you recall that he said in Luke chapter 21, he said, watch and pray always. Watch and pray always. And it's a good thing for you and I that we set a watch and we spend time with the Lord. And maybe you're in that place tonight where you're wrestling with things and you need to watch. You need to be in prayer. And as you go through that process, because we get in such a hurry, especially this time of the year as we're heading a week from Thanksgiving and then into the Christmas season and then a new year. And it seems like we're rushing out the door. I can feel those pressures. And, and I got a lot that I need to do, but it's very important that we set a watch and we spend time with him and know that the Lord desires to speak to you, to give you comfort, to give you peace. And as you do, you're wrestling, you're watching, then you can write number three, then you'll find yourself worshiping and giving thanks to the Lord, even as Habakkuk was doing. So here is, you know, all of this taking place as we go back to our text here in the book of Isaiah, that God's going to use the wicked empire to judge his people, the Assyrians. But God's going to deal with the Assyrians as well. As verse 8, for he says, that are not my princes altogether kings? Uh, what the Assyrians were so prideful in their pride that you know that the Roman empire, you had the emperors who saw themselves as deity. Well, it was the same thing here with the Assyrian king, Shennacherib. Tiglath-Pileser. They saw themselves as gods. They saw themselves as deity. And we're much stronger, our leader, who is a god, than the god of Israel or the god of Judah. And that's what we're going to see when we get to chapters uh, 36 and 37. Uh, there as Shennacherib is going to be boasting against Hezekiah, saying, who is this god of yours, Hezekiah? Can this god stand up to me, my mighty army? And we're going to see what the result of that is going to be as the Lord's going to deal with him. But it's not 
Calno, verse 9, like Sharshamish, and Hamath, like Arpad, and is not Samaria, like Damascus, as my hand has found the kingdoms of the idols who carved images uh, excelled those of Jerusalem and Samaria. And I have done to Samaria and her idols, shall I not also do to Jerusalem and her idols? In verse 12, therefore it shall come to pass when the Lord has performed all his work on Mount Zion on Jerusalem, that he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his haughty looks. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I am prudent. Also, I have removed the boundaries of the people and have robbed their treasuries. But I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And in these verses here, we read that that the Assyrians were so arrogant, um, their princes were like kings and gods, and uh, the, the gods of the other nations are no match for us. They gloried in their own strength and wisdom. Even the king of Assyria, as God's going to deal with his haughty look, notice in verse 13, that I am prudent, I have removed, I have put down the inhabitants. He had an eye problem. He really did. It's I, I, I. And you see, that's how we know that we're becoming prideful in our own lives when we have an I problem. I did this. Look what I did. Remember Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel? That there in chapter uh, 4, as we see that um, Nebuchadnezzar, he's standing there glorifying, you know, uh, what he did for the kingdom. Look what I built this, this great, great kingdom. And, and we see that uh, it was the Lord that dealt with Nebuchadnezzar and he ended up going insane for seven years. God really humbled him. And the Lord's going to do the same thing with the king of Assyria when we read that story, that he's going to end up being killed by his own people after his army is destroyed by the Lord, actually by one angel. And you see, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 19 is so true that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And the Lord will deal with our pride and our arrogance, and especially when we're boasting in what the Lord has done through us. And what we're going to see in Isaiah, that Isaiah is going to declare, the Lord says that he will not share his glory with anyone. He will not share his glory with any man or any woman. And you and I have no reason to boast in our salvation, what we have done. We have no reason to boast in what he is doing through us and the fruit that's being produced. And you've heard me say, and you know as you study the scriptures, man, we have a good deal. I mean, the Lord, he's the one that's provided salvation for us. We come in faith. But it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And we're saved by grace through faith, by faith alone. And one of the things that we need to understand as Christians, there's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. And whenever that you hear somebody come along and say that, yeah, you have to have faith in Jesus Christ and you have to be baptized. There are those that will call me up and, and they'll try to argue, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And what we are going to see this Sunday is Jesus is going to turn to the thief on the cross who cries out to him that, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus will say, before the sun is set, you'll be with me in paradise. And that's such an incredible 
story that there is no accident that those two thieves were crucified next to Jesus. One who is going to rebel and revile Jesus. The other one who repents and turns to Jesus. And that individual coming to Jesus, he couldn't say, you know what, Jesus, I'll live for you. Yeah, right, for the next 20 minutes before you die. Uh, the Lord didn't turn to him and say, well, you know, sorry, you weren't baptized, so you won't be with me in paradise. That man could do nothing except cry out to the Lord and plead the incredible mercy and grace of our Lord. Remember me when you come into this kingdom. Uh, look what we've done, he said to the other robber. We have done what was happening to us is being justly done. We deserve this punishment, death. And that's what sin has done for you and for me. We deserve death. We don't deserve life. And that's what grace is all about. That Jesus then would cry out from that cross, te telestai, it is finished. And we'll talk more about that. But it's important for us as Christians to understand it is finished. Period. And as I've said before, you never put a question mark where God puts a period. And there can be something in us that we think that I have to do something to earn that salvation, the cross and be baptized, the cross and I have to worship on a certain day, the Sabbath day. I have to join this church. I have to do these things. Listen, there's nothing that you can do. There's no works of the law that will justify you. And that's why Romans and Galatians and Hebrews, the theme of those books, or the just shall live by faith. And what happens is, is that there are those who come along and say, you have to teach these things that you've got to, to keep the law. You've got to do these things. You've got to toe the line. And pastor, you've got to do that or you're going to have a carnal church. Listen, live in grace and live in love. And you'll do more in grace and love than you will ever do trying to earn God's approval and love. He loves you. Do you understand that? And if you can trust them with your salvation, trust them with your life. Should we continue in sin that grace abounds? Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. He said, certainly not. We're dead to that stuff. And we are free to live for him. We are free to live for him. So it's not sloppy agape, all right? It is a life that is dedicated to him, trusting in him, and looking to him and walking after him. And listen, how I long for us to really understand that and great is the day when we make that our own that Lord yes that I can live for you and living for you is experiencing that abundant life that you have for me do we understand that because if you live after the world if you think I'm going to build stronger without the Lord you're going to find yourself that the day will come what are you going to do when the storm comes you're going to end up your life is going to collapse around you and you're not going to have the strength that you otherwise could have had if you were building upon the Lord and the firm foundation and the rock Jesus Christ. And he desires for us to live a life after him so we can experience that abundant life and be blessed, not so that we can be miserable. And listen, in doing that, you're going to have the enemy come against you. You'll have the world come against you. The world's not going to applaud you. But you're going to see the Lord is going to do such amazing things. Will you live for him and trust him in every area of your life and not in any arrogance or pride think, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm the captain of my own ship. You're going to find your ship going down. I'm the master of my own fate. 
you're going to find yourself being dry and you're going to be unfulfilled and unsatisfied eventually. And I see it all the time. That people get towards the end of their life and they're cynical. And they're wondering, is this what life is all about? Because they missed out on the abundant life that the Lord has for them. And, and it's never too late to live for him. But live for him now. And experience the richness of the Lord. So in verse 14, my hand is found like a nest, the riches of the people. And as one gathers eggs that are left, I have gathered all the earth, that there is no one who moved his wing nor opened his mouth with even a peep. And shall the axe boast against himself who chops with it, or shall the saw exalt itself against him who saws with it? As if a rod could wield itself against those who lift it up, or as a staff could lift up as it were uh, not wood. What in verse 15, the instrument shouldn't get the glory. It's the one using the instrument, right? You use a saw. Um, you don't lay the saw down and say, man, saw, you did such a great job, you know, <laughs> and give glory to the saw. It's the one that used the, the saw. The saw is just an instrument as we do work. Listen, you're an instrument for the Lord. We're earthen vessels, that the excellence is in us, as Second Corinthians declares. That the glory of the Lord may be seen, and he gets the glory. Amen? And you see, that's where we need to be careful, especially in this celebrity kind of mentality that's even in the church, that we need to give the glory to the Lord. You know, it's not look at our great church or... You know, look what we're doing. Look what the Lord is doing. And we can be thankful for that. But we give him the glory. We're just instruments to be used of him, right? And we're all like tools. We all have different gifts and abilities and, uh, that the Lord wants to use. And he desires to use us not only in these four walls, but as we go into our workplace and with our families. But he gets the glory in everything that is being done here. You know, God's doing amazing things here at Calvary Chapel. Really amazing things. And one of the things I've really noticed is you guys are starting to bring people. You're bringing family members. You're bringing other people that are being invited. That excites me. And you know what happens when that continues on? That's where you really begin to see revival. You see revival when people are bringing people and excited about the Lord and telling them that you need to come and hear the word. You need to come and grow in God's word and hear the gospel. We had a, a person call last week, you know, that heard, heard us on the radio and he called and he said, I'm afraid to die. And Pastor John was able to lead him to the Lord. And those are the things that we are seeing, but God gets the glory. We're just instruments to be used. So I want to encourage you, be available. And I've always told people that your greatest ability is your availability. Each and every day, just being available to the Lord. That, Lord, however you want to use me, I'm an instrument for you to be used of you, to have those divine appointments that, that you run into that person that you haven't seen for a while or at the store or maybe a family member calls. Be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. You know, sometimes for me, I'll speak for myself, is that I can miss out on that because I'm in a big hurry or, oh no, I got things I need to do rather than being flexible. And my pastor used to always say, blessed are the flexible for they shall not break. All right, just be flexible in what the Lord wants to do. And sometimes we need to stop 
and allow our schedules to be adjusted and just take time with people and tell them that the Lord loves them and show them that you really care for them. And that's where we're going to make a difference in people's lives. But we're instruments being used and he gets the glory. And then in verse 16, that therefore the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will send leanness among the fat ones. Um, You've got to understand that um, if somebody, you know, in the ancient world, the, the fat ones was somebody who had plenty to eat. It, it spoke of wealth. It spoke of much provision. And that's going to go away. Um, You're not going to have that. And and continuing on. And under his glory, he will kindle a burning like the burning of a fire. You know, um, when we were in Israel, I was showing some, a couple of people in the group. uh, When we were at the Garden of Gethsemane. At the Garden of Gethsemane, there at the base of the Mount of Olives. And you're looking right at the Kidron Valley. And then you look at the Temple Mount. And as you see the other side of the valley there, where it comes up to the eastern gate and, and, the, um, and the wall around the old city of Jerusalem, and as you look, if you look very carefully, there's a dark line. And I was pointing that out to a couple people, and what they did was, there in the Kidron Valleys, they excavated right there at that dark line, and they found a ton of idols. It was idols in the days of Manasseh and Ahaz particularly that the land was full of idols. And then that black line is where the Babylonians came in and burnt down Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. About 15 feet above there, there's another dark line. And that's where Titus Vespasian came in in 70 AD and destroyed the second temple and burnt the city of Jerusalem down. So the Lord here is saying, you're going to end up being burnt, you know. It's going to be like a burning fire. So the light of Israel will be for a fire. Here is a definite article. Here is a messianic term, light of Israel. And his holy one for a flame. It will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. And it will consume the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field, both soul and body. And they will be as when a stick man waste away and when the rest of the trees of his forest will be so few in number that a child may write them. So again, this this arrogant Assyria is going to be dealt with by the Lord because of their cruelty and they were very, very cruel. And at one time, just, you know, as they boasted in their plenty, as they boasted in, you know, uh, just how strong they were, they're going to be like dry wood that's ready for tender fire that the Lord's going to come and judge them. And then in verse 20, and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction of the decree shall overflow with righteousness. In verse 23, for the Lord God of hosts will make a determinant in the midst of all the land. So what we see here, despite the coming attack of the Assyrians, 
God's going to preserve a remnant of his people in Israel. Again, a play on words, a remnant shall return. That was the name of his first son um, that we saw in chapter 7, Shir Shahab, which means a remnant will return. And then Mahashala Hashbaz, his second son, is that um, hurry to the spoil. So their sons were that prophecy given to Israel and to also we see that a remnant is going to return uh, as we are told here. God has his faithful remnant today. Remember in the Old Testament, Elijah, that calls down fire from heaven, consumes the you know, sacrifice, the wood of the sacrifice, great victory on Mount Carmel. He uh, puts the death of 450 prophets of Baal. Jezebel, the queen, says, I'm going to lop your head off, Elijah. And he takes off to the mountain of God. He's depressed. He, he's scared. He's there at the mountain of God. And the Lord says to Elijah, as Elijah says, there's no one, no one left, only me that is left. And the Lord said, Elijah, listen, 7,000 have not bowed the knee to Baal. I have a remnant that are here. We know that as, for example, God would write a letter, no seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation chapters two and three, that those churches, the, the uh, church of Sardis, the, the dead church, the church of Thyatira, the corrupt church, the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, God had his remnant of people. And even today, as we see, we get concerned where the church, that is the church at large, where the church is headed today. And we see there's more of getting away of the word of God. And, and it's amazing what people tell me that, um, you know, that uh, they, they've experienced in a church or, or um, you know, what their relatives are involved in the church, false teaching, entertainment, all kinds of things. And, and it's something that sometimes I hear it and I'm just absolutely amazed that churches are doing these things. But God always has this remnant of people. And he has this remnant of people that he wants to use today in this last day that we're in. So here a remnant of people are going to uh, be used of the Lord. And therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian. He will strike you with a rod and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt. For yet a little while, and the indignation will cease as my anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will stir up a scourge for him like the slaughter of Midian of the rock of Oreb. As his rod was on the sea, so will he lift it up in the manner of Egypt. So we know that God destroyed the Midianites in Judges chapter 7. 300 of Gideon's men would defeat 135,000 of the Midianites. We know that the Lord would destroy the, the chariots of Egypt there in Exodus chapter 14. So he says, don't be afraid. The Assyrians are going to be, you know, uh, I'm going to deal with them. The enemy surrounds us. The world overwhelms us. And it can be frightening sometimes. We become frightened. And I think that the message of the Lord for all of us here tonight is don't be afraid. He says, I've got you. And I'm your peace. And I'm the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father. And he desires to take care of you and to strengthen you. And he's going to work in your life. 
And when the Assyrians surround us or the Egyptians are about ready to run over us in their chariots, it seems like in life, that he makes a wave escape, he provides. And we need to take heed what Moses told the people that don't be afraid for look up and see the salvation of the Lord. They kept looking on the problem, on the chariots. And we can do that. We magnify the problem. We look at the problem. And we need to look up and look at the Lord. And remember that he's mightier than anything that comes against us. And he desires to work in our lives as we continue here in um, verse 27. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Now that's an interesting phrase that's kind of debated what exactly is said the anointing oil. Uh, who is it? What is it? Is it the angel? Um, that is um, going to come and destroy the Assyrian army one angel in one night or the anointing oil. Of course, uh, it is um, the anointing oil speaks of the Holy Spirit, but many believe that it's just a reference to the Messiah, the anointing oil. And he has come to Aath, his past Migron. At Michmash, he has attended to his equipment. They have gone along the ridge. They have taken up lodging at Geba, Ramah is afraid, and Gibeah, Saul has fled. Lift up your voice, O daughter of Gillam. Cause it to be heard as far as Laish. O poor Anathoth, uh, Madmanah has fled. The inhabitants of Gibeah seek refuge. And yet he will remain at Nob that day and will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion in the hill of Jerusalem. Interesting here in verses 28 through 32. This is a map of the Assyrians that they're going to take as they are coming towards Jerusalem. And as you follow these ancient names, first one is Ai there in verse 28. Aoth is what is in the New King James. It's the ancient city Ai. Does that ring a bell with you? Remember Joshua after they defeated Jericho? They went against Ai. And they were defeated there at Ai. And they came back with their tails between their legs. And Joshua is crying out to the Lord, Lord, you know, why did we come into the promised land to be defeated? You know, little Ai defeated us. And the Lord said, Joshua, you know, there's sin in the camp. And that's where they would deal with Achan. Achan, who stole that Babylonian garment from, from Jericho. Remember the Lord said that when you go and destroy Jericho, don't take any of the accursed things, don't take any of the idols, and all the spoils, the first fruits belong to me. So here's Achan, he steals a Babylonian garment and, and, and takes a few other things, and he hides it. So there's sin in the camp, and the Lord says you need to deal with it. And Achan was dealt with. Listen, whenever that there is compromise, that the Lord is going to deal with us. And listen, that Achan and his family went through tremendous punishment and difficulty because of that. And if you are involved in sin, it not only affects you, but affects a whole lot of people around you. So here's Ai just north of, of Jerusalem uh, a ways. And then Magron, as you follow the map here, it's getting closer. Ramah is about 10 miles away from Jerusalem. The Assyrians are making their way down. Ramah was the place where they had a staging area that when finally the house of Judah went into captivity, that they went to Ramah. 
And that's where the people were separated and went off into captivity. And then as it continues, Gibeah and Gilam, it continues closer to Anathoth. Uh, We read there in verse 32, and yet they will remain at Nob that day. Nob is the same name as later on called Mount Scopus. Now, when we go to Jerusalem, we look at Mount, we stand on Mount Scopus. We come up from Jericho, we come to Mount Scopus, and you can oversee the Kidron Valley and oversee Jerusalem. It's the first time that we have a view of Jerusalem. Mount Scopus is called that because that's where Titus would come in with the Roman legions scoping out Jerusalem. So here's the map of the Assyrians. They're getting closer, and eventually they would surround Jerusalem. But it was also what is interesting that there are those who suggest that perhaps not only was this a near fulfillment with the Assyrians coming down into Jerusalem, but there's a far fulfillment as well. Because we know in the Battle of Armageddon that right there in northern Israel that the armies will begin to make their way down. And this is the pathway that they may come down to Mount Scopus. And we know that Zechariah chapter 14 tells us that half the city will fall into captivity. It seems like that Joel chapter 2, that the city's going to go under when the Jews cry out to the Lord and the Lord comes and delivers them. So there may be a full uh, a future fulfillment in this, the path of those armies, those nations that will come down into towards the Kidron Valley, towards Jerusalem. It's kind of interesting to look at it. And then he will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion and the hill of Jerusalem. Behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop off the bow with terror and with a high statue and will be hewn down and the haughty will be humbled and he will cut down the thickest of the forest with iron and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. Again, that we know that the Assyrians will march but they'll be cut down. He will cut down their pride like a mighty tree is cut down and he will deal with them. And then chapter 11 in all of this we see that chapter 11 is going to be messianic once again. But here's the thing. Don't you and I become prideful. Because he will deal with us because he loves us. We give the glory to him. We look to him for everything. And we rely on him, on his strength, on what he wants to do in our lives. So Father, we thank you for this time, this chapter that really is amazing and Lord, I pray that, um, that it shows us how we need to humbly come to you and live for you and deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow after you. And Lord, I pray that we would do that, to experience the abundant life that you have for us. Because we do have the Holy Spirit that he lives in us. You've given us of your promises. Lord, you enable us. You guide us and direct us. And, and you desire to do a work in us and through us. We're instruments to be used of you. But Lord, may we humbly come submitted to you. And what I pray that tonight, that as we come before you, that if there's anything that perhaps that you're dealing with that we're boasting in or self-reliant in, that Lord, that we would come. And we would turn away from our own self-reliance. And that we would humble ourselves before you. Lord, I know that you desire to use each and every one of us in this church in a, in a mighty way. For us to experience the, 
the living waters, when we wrestle with things that we can come and stay our watch, you'll minister to us. Lord, you're so good. You're so faithful. And you want to do so much. You want to grow us. You want us to throw off the yoke that those things that have us bound up, the sin, the carnality, the uh, Lord, the, the, the things we struggle with. But it takes humbling ourselves and coming to you and recognizing that you are our help. And even as your people at this time were looking to everything else and their own strength and Egypt and the enemy to help them, but they were missing out the one that could truly help. I pray that we wouldn't fall into that. That, Lord, that every area of our lives, you are our help. And every promise that you give to us is true. So, Father, I thank you that we can call out upon you and you care for your people. And I want to pray for everyone here tonight as we close. Lord, I want to pray for the one that maybe is here has never really surrendered her life to you. That through grace, through faith, that as we come that way, it's not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. As we come, that we are saved and looking to the finished work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and admitting that we are sinners in need of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, and coming and humbling ourselves and calling out upon the name of Jesus for salvation to be our own personal Lord and Savior. And if that's you tonight, call out to the Lord. He loves you. Today's the day of salvation. Saying, Jesus, I come to you as a sinner and I humble myself and I admit that I am a sinner in need of you, the Savior of the world who died for me my personal Lord and Savior. And I believe you're alive and you rose from the grave and I thank you for dying for me in this new beginning. And I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that you were raised from the grave. Thank you for hearing my prayer. I pray for anybody that's here that maybe there's been some area of your life that you're trying to rely on your own strength and your own abilities, the the pride that's there to say, Lord, I need to give it to you. Because oftentimes we know that in our strength that it becomes a weakness and we fail eventually. Lord, that we would trust you and be surrendered to you in every way. And Lord, I pray for those who are here who are wrestling with things that perhaps that they're going through, the season, the wondering, and I pray that they would make their watch and come to you. And Lord, that you are good, that you cannot do evil, that you're working for good, and Lord, allow you to minister to us so that we can come to that place of worship. Father, I thank you for tonight. I pray you bless everyone here as we go our way and the rest of our week. We pray for OCC, that you keep that trailer safe and this building safe. And Lord, we thank you that we can be here. But but Lord, just continue to bless the ministries that goes forth and all the things that we're doing here for your glory. Just being instruments for you to be a light in the dark days that we find ourselves in. So we thank you in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? If you need prayer for anything...